When I served down in uh, Buda, just south of Austin, before Buda was anything, now you can do anything in Buda, but before, uh, you uh, could not do very much in Buda. When I served down in Buda, we had a, to open every worship service, we had a call and response that went something like this. We would say, good morning, saints, and everybody would say, good morning. And then we would say, good morning, sinners, and most people would say, good morning, right? Right? We want to be seen as a, as a saint. That feels pretty good. We don't really like being called out as sinners. And yet, that is what we are. We are both saint and sinner. To be saint is to be a holy one, to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be connected to God. And in Christ, we are made holy. And until we die, as we remain in these bodies, in this broken world, we also remain sinners. We continue to miss the mark that God sets for us. We are both saint and sinner. That's the paradox, one of the paradoxes of our faith. And the gift of our faith is that God loves us as saint and as sinner. That God loves us in the fullness of who we are and who we are becoming. And that God is preparing us for a day when we will meet Christ face to face and we will be made whole and we will recognize and celebrate the fullness of our life in Christ. Today, as we remember the saints and as we consider what it means to be holy, we offer our gratitude for that fullness of life of being a saint and being a sinner. Let us pray. Lord, thank you that you receive us even as we are. And we pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word to us this day, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Last year around this time, we did a series on different hymns of faith. And we decided that we would uh, revisit that and bring that back this year. So tonight's hymn, this weekend's hymn, is Holy, Holy, Holy. Nick and uh, the Saturday Night Musicians offered uh, a rendition of that for us and the offering. Holy, 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 that was written by an uh, Anglican pastor. His name was Reginald Heber. Uh, he served in England in the early 1800s. He served at, at, at a parish that his father had served. He served for 16 years. And over the course of that time, wrote uh, 57 different hymns and attempted to get them published. Uh, but he had a difference of opinion with uh, the person who would have allowed the publishing of those hymns. And so they never got published while he was alive. And after his death, he had been the vicar at this particular parish for 16 years and then actually served as the Bishop of Calcutta for the Church of England for three years before he died. He died in a, a drowning accident, um, and uh, he had actually was in the water and had a stroke and died, uh, drowned in the water. He was 43 when he died, and yet he had served God in this church and in India. And his wife, after his death, found where all these hymns were and had them published. And so this hymn that is the first hymn in our hymnal, when you flip through the first uh, pages that are a lot of the different liturgies and get to the actual hymns, this is the first hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy. 
And it speaks to the glory and the majesty, the holiness of God. But it has been with us for many, many years and uh, is sung in uh, most churches in some form or fashion. The, the life that it has, the legacy that it has, lives on. This hymn was intended for Trinity Sunday. Um, it was a way for the church. Uh, one of the things that he did in his hymns was uh, outline uh, doctrine of the church, ideas of the church. And hymns, one of the reasons we did the series last year and that we're doing it again, hymns or songs of faith, as they kind of take hold of your heart and your mind, you begin to let those words seep into who you are. I grew up in a church, my dad was a music minister, and so hymns were a very important part of my life. I didn't realize that not everybody uh, grew up singing hymns. I just thought that was normal. Uh, and for those of us in the church, it was at, at that point. But I now can hear, when we sing hymns that I sang as a child, I can hear the voices of my dad and my aunts and my mom and, and my grandmother, and it creates an anchor for me. Many of these hymns that are really, really old create anchors for us in our faith and in our worship. This hymn had two texts that it was based off of. The first in Revelation 4, day and night. This is John's vision for heavenly worship. Day and night, without ceasing, they sing, Holy, 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 the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall before the one who is seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, singing, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. There's another place in the Bible, back in Isaiah, when the prophet Isaiah has a vision also uh, of a similar scene. And this is what Isaiah tells us. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne high and lofty, and the hem of his robe filled the temple. Seraphs were in attendance above him. Each had six wings. With two, they covered their faces, and with two, they covered their feet, and with two, they flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The pivots on the thresholds shook at the voices of those who called, and the house filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. Yet my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphs flew to me, holding a live coal that had been taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. The seraph touched my mouth with it and said, Now that this has touched your lips, your guilt has departed and your sin is blotted out. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. Both of these texts, John's vision of worship in Revelation and Isaiah's vision uh, back in the Old Testament, speak to the holiness of God to the otherness of God, speak to uh, the worship that God deserves and the space that God invites us into. The hymn itself reflects 
the nature of God and this holiness. The first two lines, what I've highlighted are some of the, the attributes of God that Reginald Heber included in this hymn. So you can imagine them singing it and learning and remembering these attributes of God. The Lord God is almighty, merciful and mighty. The God is eternal. God who works and arts and evermore shall be. God who is past and present and future. God who is encompassing of all time and space. God who is perfect. And just because we are really unable to imagine the wholeness of God, the perfection of God, because we are not able to appropriate that in our own lives, doesn't mean that God isn't perfect. The sense of God's otherness and God's holiness helps us understand that God is greater. God is not us, and yet we know in Christ that God comes down to us, that we are invited into this holiness as well, perfect in power, perfect in love and in purity. And God, in his holiness, invites all of creation, all that God has created, to praise all the works, all thy works shall praise thy name in earth and sky and sea. There's a completeness to this worship of God. There's a completeness to this understanding that God is holy. God is other. God is eternal. God is perfect. God is with us, the Lord God Almighty. When we think about God being holy, I think sometimes it's really uh, more than we can imagine. We have these visions of John and, and the vision that Isaiah gives us, but can you imagine them actually having this vision and then trying to convey it? It's like having the most amazing dream or being in the most amazing setting and trying to explain that to someone else, right? I, I can imagine, maybe imagine that, it, that if it was me, I would be you know, waving my hands and trying to get you to understand how magnificent it was. Well, you know, it was this big room and, and the Lord was on the throne and there were all these creatures around and they were singing and, and everything was made of, of uh, you know, gemstones and, and there was like a sea of glass, a glassy sea, and there was a crown. And, and I, you know, I, we get this vision from John and from Isaiah, but we have the words that they gave us. Can you imagine if that was the vision you had? How would you explain it. I think we live so much in this world, in this broken world, that we get glimpses of God's glory. We get glimpses of God's holiness. We, we experience that in some ways, but I, I think it's hard for us, even with words on a page, to really grasp the holiness of God. Sometimes in an effort to to encourage relationship with God, I think sometimes we make God too friendly, right? Jesus, yes, is our closest friend, and Jesus, yes, is, is one of us with, with flesh and who lived and, and walked the earth and, and did amazing things. And God is holy. And God calls us to be holy. It's almost too much to imagine the contrast between the holy God and the broken world in which we live. And yet we are created 
in the image of God. We are being restored into the image of God. We are invited into holiness. That word holy, there's two root words of that in the Bible. In the Old Testament, the the root word is kodesh, and in the New Testament, it's hagios. And the word holy, in, in some form or fashion, is used over 500 times in Scripture. It describes absolutely who God is, and it speaks to who we are called to be. Israel was called a holy nation. To be holy is to be set apart, to be consecrated, to be worth veneration. When we talk about a holy God, it is a God worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise, worthy of our attention. To be holy is to be connected to God in such a way that that we too are set apart. Even in this broken world, we are to be set apart. We're to look different than the world looks. We're called to be holy as individuals. We read in 1 Peter, Therefore prepare your minds for action, discipline yourselves, set all your hope on the grace that Jesus Christ will bring you when he is revealed. Like obedient children, do not be conformed to the desires that you formerly had in ignorance. Instead, as he who called you is holy, be holy yourselves in all your conduct. For it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That comes out of Leviticus. God saying to Israel, you, should, you will be holy because I am holy. I have called you. You are mine. You belong to me. I will be your God. You will be my people. I am holy you are to be holy. You are to be set apart to look different from the nations around you. We're called to be holy as individuals, but also as a community. In the next chapter of 1 Peter, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We're called to be holy. We're called to live as a saint, even while we know that we are sinners. We can't do this on our own. You can't just conjure up holiness. You can't get it at the store. You have to allow Christ to do the work in you and the Holy Spirit to do the work in you. Romans 5, 8, God proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ who is God, Christ who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Christ who is perfect, Christ who is uh, that integral part of the Trinity, right, died for us while we were still sinners. Christ who is perfect dies for us who are imperfect so that we have life. And not just eternal life, but abundant life right now. Christ dies for us that we might be forgiven, that we might be free from the power of sin and death at work in us. We are able, by the power of the Spirit, to not be conformed to the old ways of life, but to be made new in our hearts and our minds. But we're not just freed from something. We're freed for life. We're freed for living in relationship with God and with one another, for being a light to the nations. Remember back in in 1 Peter, this is who you are in order that you might proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness. 
Holiness is, doesn't come without responsibility. We're called to holiness so that our lives might be reflective of the worship that's described by John and by Isaiah. And the work of the, the Holy Spirit in us, transforming us, we begin to understand that salvation is a gift and it is a process. We're called to recognize the power and majesty of God, the eternal nature of God, the perfection of God, the presence of God with us. And we're called to remember that we're not alone in this journey that we're on. We're not alone in our struggle to be a saint and live also still as sinners. We journey with one another and with those who have gone before us on this All Saints Weekend, we remember that these names we have read and these names we have said for ourselves, uh, they weren't perfect. Sometimes when people die, I, I, I've been at funerals where we talk about the person who has died and, and later someone will say, well, she wasn't very nice to me. That's not the person I know, right? We tend to highlight the goodness of whoever it is that has died. And sometimes that makes it hard for us to remember that actually there are real people who lived real lives, who were saints and also sinners. It's hard for us sometimes to live in, in the mix of that, uh, the distance that we now feel from them. Uh, we don't want to necessarily remember how very real they were as people of faith and people who struggled as we do, but they were people, imperfect though they were, through whom God loved us, through whom we learned about who God is. All Saints gives us an opportunity to remember, and to remember by looking back and to remember by looking forward, remembering what God has promised throughout Scripture for what will be ours. Frederick Buechner writes this, Memory is more than a looking back to a time that is no longer. It is a looking out into another kind of time altogether where everything that ever was continues not just to be, but to grow and change with the life that is in it still. The people we loved, the people who loved us, the people who, for good or ill, taught us things, dead and gone though they may be, as we come to understand them in new ways, it is as though they come to understand us. And through them we come to understand ourselves in new ways too. Who knows what the communion of saints means, but surely it means more than just that we are all that we are all of us haunted by ghosts because they are not ghosts. These people we once knew, not just echoes of voices that have year, years since ceased to speak, but saints in the sense that through them something of the power and the richness of life itself not only touched us once long ago, but continues to touch us now. To be in Christ, to be made holy in Christ, is to be connected as the body of Christ for all eternity. It's as if we are gazing upon Christ from one side of where Christ is and that our loved ones who have gone before us 
are simply on the other side gazing at Christ too. It's the same Christ. It's the same love. It's the same faith. Those who have died are not lost to us. We know where they are. And so we remember. We remember how God used them to love us, and we remember even now how God continues to use their lives to love us and to teach us and to remind us of who we are. I don't, I don't know about you, and, and maybe your mind doesn't uh, work this way, but for me, as the years go on, time seems to get shorter and shorter and becomes more and more precious. I look at the seasons of life and I get glimpses of how sacred time is and how sacred relationships are and how gracious God is to make room for us as sinners and as saints, to be in relationship with him and with one another, to make room for us at the table. This side of heaven, there's plenty of ways that those of us who are called to be holy won't be holy. There are plenty of ways in which our sinful nature will emerge even through the covering of who we are as saints, as ones who are set apart. But that's how the world understands through us the grace of God, that we can be called and set apart even in the process of becoming a saint. We get to be real in the midst of the broken world so that our lives become reflective of the worship of the one who was and is and is to come. We're called to be holy. We're called to be set apart. We're called to be saints. We are saints. And we are sinners who all long to be in that throne room, right? Offering ourselves in complete worship to the one who sees us and loves us and invites us still to enter into fellowship with God and with one another so that our lives are whole, whether we are whole on this side of heaven or on the other side where there is no more death and no more crying and no more pain and no more suffering, no more sorrow. One day, one day, we'll all be in that place of worship together. But until then, we're called to be set apart so that the world might see the love of God through us, God's saints and sinners. Let us pray. Lord, sometimes it's so hard for us to uh, really live into being holy. And the truth is, most of the time, it's hard for us to live into what it means to be holy, to be set apart, to not be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, by the renewing of our hearts, by the surrender of our lives to you. It's hard for us, even in that, to imagine the vastness of your holiness, and yet you invite us to do so. Remind us as we come to the table today that you receive us as sinner, that you call us to be saints, and that in Christ, that is how that happens. And help us as we come to the table, enter into that thin space, 
where we understand that the communion of the saints means that those who have gone before us aren't really gone. They still commune at the table with us and with you. So by your spirit, would you allow us to know their presence with us today as we celebrate your grace, as we receive your goodness, as we remember once again your call in our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.